When I was in high school is when I, the moment that I can pinpoint when I had my, my conversion, if you will. Um, at least that initial moment of conversion where I came to realize that Jesus was a real person, uh, that He was alive, active, and wanted something to do with me. Um, today, as we, as we continue during this Easter season, that's something that I think it should be renewed in each one of us. That as we embark on Easter now, we don't forget about what went on in Lent. We don't forget about the last week of, of Easter. But instead, we put it into practice. Now, why do I start with that image, that idea of me being in high school? I remember being, I, I, it was right after I was ordained a deacon. I was assigned at Nichols, uh, and I ran into a friend of mine who you, I used to meet up pretty regularly at retreats and things. And I remember him looking at me and saying, man, we're, we're a couple of the few that used to do retreats that still go to church. And it kind of hit me. It, it kind of hit me for a second because I was like, wait, what you... I, no, we had a bunch of people that used to go. He said, yeah, yeah, but think about it. How many of those people do you see, do you see still active in their faith? And it was a sobering reality for me to kind of step back. Because I remember going to retreats that, or being involved with the youth group and, and having 50 and 60 and 70 people show up to things. I remember going to retreats and having 100, 150 people sometimes on a retreat and doing all these wonderful things and being at conferences with 500 and 600 and 1,000 people hosted by our diocese and it was awesome and it was beautiful. And then, and then he, but he pointed it out, he said, but who is still living their faith. When I started to really reflect, I could count probably about 10 people that I remembered that I was friends with that still were involved in their faith. Because the reality was is that all of these retreats, all of these events were good things. They were beautiful things. Steubenvilles were awesome. Youth rallies were awesome. All these things that we used to go to, all these retreats we used to go to were wonderful, big experiences. But then what would happen is that basically when you leave the experience in the past, it dies. When you leave the moment in the past, it goes away. It loses its vigor. It doesn't, it, it's a flash in the pan, and it's gone. For us, as Christians, as we embark now on the Easter season, I, have a very, I want us to have a, a, a really honest conversation. Did last week just happen as a flash in the pan? Did Easter just happen as a, as a good moment that's in the past? Because if we leave it there, it will die. If we, only, if we went through this last week and we went through the triduum and we had, maybe we've gone to confession for the first time in a long time or maybe we went to the Easter vigil for the first time in a long time or maybe you've been back just to Mass for the first time in a long time. That's a wonderful thing. But if we leave the Easter mystery in the past, it will die. If we forget that the tomb is empty, we will forget for good. We'll turn away. We'll walk away. That was nice. Our salvation, that was a good thing. 
But now it's time to get back to normal life. Now, for, I know for me, so often, Easter week is usually one of the hardest things in the world. A buddy of mine and I were talking the other day, and we were laughing because we said gluttony doesn't exist in Easter. Like, it doesn't exist during the octave. It doesn't exist after we celebrate because we just had a season of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. We just had Lent where we all focus on doing something better and trying to better ourselves and trying to grow in our relationship with God. And then what happens is, is Easter happens, and then we just get back to normal. We go back to right where we were beforehand. One year I gave up the snooze button for Lent. And I remember that it was the hardest thing in the world because I'm, like I'm a professional snoozer. I'm like, oh yeah, resetting the alarm clock and kind of snoozing. Like I was good at it. The problem was I gave it up for Lent. And on Easter Monday, I hit the snooze button 12 times. And on Easter Tuesday, I hit it six times. And on Easter Wednesday, I hit it another eight times because I went right back to how I was. But is that what Lent was about? Just doing something hard for six weeks and then going right back to it after. See, I think God is trying to do something very, very powerful, not only in the life of the church, but in our life as well. As we see kind of the hope of this pandemic kind of lifting, it's almost as if the world's going to be resurrected. What role do we have in living out that resurrection? What role do we as Christians, we as Catholics have in being God's hands, feet, and mouth to the world around us? And if we leave Easter in the past, we leave behind everything that God wants to achieve. And we just go back to normal. Over the next seven weeks, as we approach Pentecost, as we go through this Easter season, the readings for the Mass are going to take a little bit of a shift. Typically, the first reading is from the Old Testament. But during the Easter season, there's always a focus on the Acts. There's always a focus on the fifth book of the New Testament, the Acts of the Apostles. It's the last part of the Bible that's a narrative, where it's actually telling a story. After that, it's all St. Paul's letters and everybody else's letters and some, and some, symbol, some symbolic imagery at the end of the book. But that's the last book that we hear about the Acts of the Apostles. The Apostles going out and evangelizing the world. My favorite part of the book of Acts is the last verse. Because you would think it would come to some kind of conclusion. It would come to some kind of climax. It would come to some kind of nice ending. But it just stops. The story goes and and you hear about all of what, what Peter does and what Paul does and all their missionary activity. And then at one point it just stops. Acts 28. It just, boop, it just stops. My favorite part of that is because the story, that's the last that it recorded for the Bible, but the story of the spread of the gospel has not stopped. That after it was Peter and Paul, it was then handed on to the St. Benedicts of the world, and then it was handed on to the next group, and the next group, and the next group, and it's now handed on to us, who are here today, empowered by the same mystery that the early apostles experienced on Easter morning, it is now handed to you and to me. And we are called to go. We are called to go out and to spread the gospel 
the same way that the early Christians did. Today in the Acts of the Apostles, the line I want to focus in on for us is that it first talks about they were of one heart and one mind. They were of one heart and one mind. That the acts of the early apostles, the ones who followed Jesus, who witnessed the crucifixion, who ran away and today experience Him in His resurrected form coming to Him, coming to them, it says that they were of one heart and one mind. That unity is imperative to the, share, to the sharing of the Gospel. For the first thousand years of the church, the words Catholic and Christian were the same. They meant the same group. They meant the same community. They meant the same people. They meant followers of Christ. For the first thousand years of the church, the church was one. It was unified. In 1027, there was a great schism of the churches of the East and the West because a lot of pride got in the way of the people who were leading it. In 1500 was the Protestant Reformation, and we see yet another break. But for 1500 years, the word Christian meant one of three things. Catholic, Orthodox, or Protestant. Lutherans. Since 1500, the division has just continued to cascade down. Continued to break apart. And today there are 30 thousand denominations and it's growing by day that breaks the perspective of the one church that God established that breaks the, that breaks the image of the one faith that we all profess the one baptism that we all have that we have one Lord who we come before 30,000 denominations. And it's caused it, the disunity is a sin against what the Lord first established in the Acts of the Apostles. We know this. We know that when there's disunity, there's a lack of growth, there's a, it, it, it breaks down things. I'm going to pull an LSU, uh, I'm pull an LSU analogy. In his opening, at his introductory press conference in 2015, Coach O, he coined one of his famous phrases. It wasn't just the Go Tigers that he ends every interview with, but he coined the motto for a team that would then win a national championship three years later. One team, you know it. One team, one team, one heartbeat, right? Because he knew that he needed buy-in and unity to achieve a goal. Our nation was founded by 13 colonies who were basically tired of a, of a dictator across the, bo- across the bayou, listen to me, uh, across the ocean. And what happened? Yeah, across the bayou, yeah, them over there. But across the, across the ocean, what happens? 13 colonies get together and form a united group of states. A united group of colonies that would then fight and win freedom. Our church is no different. 
We're strong when we're unified. We're strong when we're together. We know this. Our family. Look at our families. Look at your family right now. If there's disunity, it causes turmoil. If there's disunity, it's a, it's a spot of weakness. It's a spot of hurt. It's a place where oftentimes we grieve when there's disunity. What are the two things? I, I, in my, perspective, in my, my, my kind of analysis of this, I think there are two things that unify us better than anything else. Great sorrows and great joys. On, on, on September 12th, 2001, everyone was proud to be an American. Everyone flew a flag. Everyone was excited. That was 20 years ago. And today, we fight over the stupidest things. But we were unified for a moment because of a great tragedy. Great joys. You see families who haven't talked to each other in forever at weddings, at celebrations. Oftentimes, there are moments where you can find reconciliation. You can bring back the unity that was once lost. Today, I want to I suggest to us that as we embark on this Easter season, we have both that are drawing us together. That on Good Friday, a great sorrow happened. The greatest of sorrows. Our Savior was murdered. Our Savior was killed. And we can be unified in our grief, we can be unified in our sadness, and it can draw us in together. And on Easter Sunday, the greatest of joys happened. That He rose. And that would draw us close together that would bring us together, that would reconcile us, that would draw all of, of us together despite whatever our prejudices, our backgrounds, our hurts, our wants, our desires, whatever, all of our lack, it would not lead us to remain fragmented. But it would draw us together and make us strong. Today as we embark on this Easter season, for this week, where is it that you need reconciliation to bring that unity, to draw us in as one? It might be in your family. It might be in your workplace. It might be with God. But as we have Divine Mercy Sunday, which is a beautiful chance for us to be drawn in, a Divine Mercy Sunday where the Lord, where we have established a day recognizing that unity is the first step to evangelization, the first step to spreading the church, to spreading the gospel, that you and I first, we need to be reconciled in our own hearts, in ourselves, before our God and for each other. I invite you today. And I'll do the same. For us to take a moment and just to reflect on where is it that I need reconciliation to be reunified with my God and with those around me. We embark today on this Easter season. 
It's not a moment of forgetting the past or of leaving the empty tomb in the past, but instead it's meant to be a moment to draw us together and to send us out. So as we come to Mass today, let us do exactly that. To be drawn together and then to go.